This is an ABC podcast. They're just so visibly queer. In a time when it was criminalised and it was frowned upon and it was really underground, the drag queens were the visible ones in the community that were out there and always at the front. Drag queens are the marines of the queer movement. Don't get it twisted and don't be distracted. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. So Monash Council has now cancelled a drag queen story time event after threats of violence against families, the performer, councillors and staff. It was a sold-out event that was planned for children and parents at the Oakley Library on May 19. And May 19 is a significant day. It is a day to celebrate International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. But that's just one in a string of drag performances throughout Victoria that's been cancelled or postponed in response to protest, even death threats. It's happening overseas as well. Since the beginning of this year, drag show bands have been sweeping all across the states. But we've seen high-profile performers, musicians and actors come out in support of drag queens. Grammy award-winning artist Lizzo filled her stage with drag performers in Tennessee in protest. Kevin Bacon and his wife Kyra Sedgwick shared a video on TikTok which has now had more than two and a half million views. And that's them dancing to Taylor Swift's song Karma with a caption at the end that says, drag bands are bad karma. So what is going on? Drag queens have throughout history been the champions of equality, publicly and privately fighting for equality since the beginning of the modern LGBTIQI rights movement. History is glittered, and I use that term deliberately, with queens who saw their role as much more than just performances. So what do you actually know? What do you actually understand about drag queens and their place in our community? The significant role that they've played for decades in being at the forefront of queer rights. With quick wit, sharp tongue and, yes, a fabulous frock, some would say they are the original activists for the community. So today, how about we learn the history of drag queens in Victoria? My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Nate Byrne. Nate, performers, staff are receiving death threats, protests. This is something that is dividing not only our city and our state, but the world at the moment. And it's taken many of us by surprise. How has it affected you? How is this all of this unfolding? How have you read it and taken it personally? G'day, Rochelle. Uh, uh this is so surprising, especially in this year in this country when we've just celebrated World Pride. And it was such a, a wonderful event, uh, so full of, of love and of excitement and uh, friendship and coming together uh, that, that we're seeing this really rapid rise, largely driven by what's going on in the US, I suspect, uh, obviously. But at home, we've certainly got our own problems. And like you say, not just here in Victoria, you know, Sydney's been seeing it recently as well. Uh, it's, to be honest, quite scary. Uh, because this is the the small tip of the iceberg, I suspect, where down a path that we could see ourselves going in some way, where it's just the perhaps the easiest of targets, the most visible. The, you know, a drag queen is somebody who's not trying to hide, who's not trying to uh, at, at all fade into the background. Uh, so they they become a very easy target, uh, and. And that concerns me because once that's okay to have a go at the one uh, the people you can see the most, it becomes increasingly easy to start changing the way that we treat people who aren't quite as visible. As a woman who spent the 90s and early 2000s at the Greyhound and DTs, I know mm-hmm. how much fun drag queens can be, but I also know how important they can be. 
your memories, your first encounter, was there a moment, the drag queen, where you realised they were more than just someone that can, you know, lip sync and add, you know, make some fabulous makeup? Absolutely. Shimmer, uh, the drag queen in WA at the time, now up in Darwin. I realised she could do a heck of a lot more than just that when she uh, put her foot, one foot on the ground, one on the ceiling. And I was like, oh, hello, that's some talent. Uh, yeah, drag queens, I, I was very lucky. One of my early jobs was actually at a gay bar as a as a barman um, with no experience at all. And the drag queens really genuinely took me under their wing. I knew nothing about the community at all. And they made sure that I learned very, very quickly uh, because they're they're loud and they're proud and they're not, they have absolutely no problem with telling somebody who doesn't know anything uh, exactly how the world works. So today we're learning about drag queens. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Lizzo in Tennessee, who not only performed, filled her stage with drag queens. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host today, Nate Byrne. We're talking about the history and the significance of drag queens in Victoria. Also joining you in the studio this morning, a warm welcome to Michael Dalton, alter ego being Dolly Diamond, many of the ABC viewers would know, and Nick Henderson, curator and committee member of the Australian Queer Archives. A warm welcome to the two of you. We spoke at the beginning of the program, Michael, about the council meeting uh, that they have now decided to cancel the story time, the drag story time event at the Oakley Library. But that's a string of cancellations, one of which was an event that Dolly Diamond, that your alter ego that you were performing at, that got cancelled for the exact same reasons, because of death threats. No, it went on. It It was actually on, yes. And the uh, community rallied and were amazing. Um, It was... Weird, obviously, because in the room were a million uh, more people that would normally be there and the uh, laws and the vibe in the room was very, very different. Um, And I guess for me what it is, when you uh, love a drag act, whatever, what you see in a nightclub isn't what you get reading a story. Like any comedian or any artist that does... Uh, a job in the evening it isn't what they will do when they're when they're with children you know uh, that's the difference now it shouldn't really matter whether it's um a, a man in a dress or a man dressed um as a banana or a man dressed as a kangaroo it's what um is delivered to our you know a younger audience must always be appropriate there's a text here that says, I'm so upset about the cancellation of drag story time, but I'm even more annoyed with some of the mainstream news reports on the six o'clock, six o'clock news last night. They used a photo of a drag queen in a really provocative dress outside, standing on a wall with no context and certainly not at a drag story time. As far as I can see, the drag queens performing for kids are generally dressed up like princesses and fairies and are certainly not wearing night attire. It was a terrible photo to use and I felt like it was a de- deliberate attempt to try and influence opinions of those who are rallying against these entertainers. That's from Steve. Nate, you, I mean, you mentioned before, you said the word scary. As a performer, Michael, are you scared? I was when I was in Mac Gambia, only that I um, didn't really know where I was as such. I mean, I don't mean I was lost, but, you know, I didn't know Mac Gambia like I would know Melbourne or Tailsford. Um, and when anyone um, threatens you for, you know, your work, you are a little, you know, worried about it. I think you need to be worried about it. And um, 
yeah, that fear of the unknown because um, generally speaking, everyone will, you know, look at it and think, you know, I may be for or against it and do nothing more than that. Um, but there's always someone out there that believes it's my right to take it to the next level and, you know, physically do something. Um, or, or as we saw from that meeting, you know, that I wouldn't have wanted to be in that room. And, you know, why are they getting cancelled? Well, because it's a risk to lives. And, you know, as much as I believe that they shouldn't be cancelled, I, I know why they are. I mean, it's it's real. And I believe it obviously to be wrong. And uh, it's all very well when we say, you know, that what are the, I can't believe it. I don't care. It. Well, no, obviously we we don't in this room at the moment, um, but there are voices that are against it and they're the ones that we need to debate with. They're the ones that we need to make realise that what it is is a business. You know, the reason that uh, I do this is f- as because it's my job It's and I've made it my job and it is fabulous. And, you know... It, when you're, um, why, but why do it for children? Well, the reason is because it's another avenue of my business. And, you know, it seems ridiculous to be able to having to justify it. Um, it's only reading to children. Yes, it, it, that is all it is. And whether, whether we, whatever we wear, I mean, obviously there would be very inappropriate outfits. Uh, and when you're reading children, but we really shouldn't be criticizing that. You know, it was their fault because they were dressed like that is a very old and ugly argument. Michael, actually, Dolly does have some outfits that are definitely yes, not appropriate like for children. We all do. Of course. Yeah, of course yeah, we do. I I certainly certainly do. Everybody in the world does, yeah. you know. Well, well mostly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those the, with the good wardrobe. Yes. No, I, I, no we're, we're talking saying, you know, that most of the performers of course would appear as yeah princesses or, or something delightful for kids because you're there to entertain kids right but the other side that the protesters are concerned that this is somehow sexualizing children or tell us just for those who haven't had the pleasure what does a drag time story like a uh, story time actually look like I mean, it's it's not um, it's not difficult. You uh, walk out, you sit, and you read a book. Yeah, you know, and then you sing if you're happy, and you know it. And we are, and we do clap hands and all of that. Um, it is no more than that. I mean, you know, there were people in Mount Canberra in that library that were there to watch to make sure. Or that nothing happened, no grooming was going on. Um, well, obviously not, you know. Um, you're reading a story and it's not the... Anyone that's worked with children knows it's not the easiest 40 minutes of your life. No. Because they are restless. Mate, how can you... You know, and I've got to get over the, you know, the queen with the wobbly bottom. Um, I've got to get out that story and hold their attention, you know. Mm. Um there's nothing more than that. Um, I always dress appropriately whenever I'm on news breakfast, whenever I'm reading to children, whenever I'm doing an event where you need to dress appropriately. Um, that, the end. You're a professional. You're an adult. Yes. You, you I want how that work. Works. I want the, yeah. you know, you know, <laughs> difference. And yeah. Parents are always there as well, right? Uh, yes, I mean, or a, a, you're not allowed a, to drop your kids to any story time no. and just bail and run. And I would have done it in a flash and gone to my yeah, shopping. If you could have, yeah. I mean, I guess <laughs> what I'm annoyed at is that we're um, with a that we're needing to do this at all, um, but hmm. also that we are coming up with justifications of why it's all right. And I know that's what happens when you're in an argument, um, but. Yes, obviously, everyone in the room wants to be there. Um, I've, you know, my, I, I would imagine all, but I certainly have a working with children, which is, you know, approved legally, government, etc. Um, so it's not just me wandering in, uh, in a mini, mm. um, but it, whatever, you know. This text, I'm shocked and saddened by this awful movement. I'm a 65-year-old nana, and I believe in an inclusive and living in an inclusive society. We seem to be dragged 
back to the 50s by just a small group of nasty, sad people. Let's hope this is not the case and that this doesn't continue. That's from Joe. And another says, I'm a 50-something heterosexual woman who has the privilege of having some of Melbourne's hardest working and extremely talented drag queens as my friends in and out of drag. And another from Sally that says, Rochelle and Nate, it's pretty simple in my eyes. Those who don't want to take their children to story time, then don't. (laughs) It's so simple, isn't it? So simple. Rochelle Hunt and Nate Byrne with you in the studio joining you today as well. Michael Dalton, you'd know him with his alter ego as Dolly Diamond. Nick Henderson is the curator and the committee member for the Australian Queer Archives. When we talk about drag queens, I mean, they are some of the oldest performers going back, not just in this country, but going back... I mean, go back to Shakespearean times, really, with men being dressing up as women to play women's roles. But when we talk about drag performers, they have been around for a long time. Absolutely. And <coughs> sorry, mm. certainly in the first mm. few years of um, uh, the Australian uh, colonies, and certainly here in Victoria, but in Sydney, the population dynamics were such that you had mostly men in the colonies. So they were performing women's roles and that continued for a significant amount of time and was a very natural and normal part of theatrical life across, you know, main, you know, stage theatre, but into music hall and uh, into vaudeville. And and the specific roles, I guess, looking more at drag and female impersonation were a significant feature of pantomimes, of of vaudeville. And, you know, that, that was really prominent. And a lot of those roles also had comedic aspects and, and different things for different communities. So in that sense that, you know, pantomime is often for kids and, and certainly there was Christmas pantomimes, which was such a big event every year. And, you know, there was the comedic roles and, uh, you know, the dames and others. And so we, we see that as being a really strong tradition in Australian theatrical life. Was there a significant moment here in Victoria, in Melbourne, where drag queens really came to the forefront? Because they, I guess they've been the, the, the true activists, the first activists, both publicly and privately for a long time for the queer community. But was there a real line in the sand at any given time? Look, I'd certainly say during HIV AIDS epidemic, you know, there was a really significant response. People, uh, performers like Kerry Lagore, uh, who regularly brought in uh, safe sex messaging into their performances. Uh, Kerry Lagore's Backyard was a, a kind of weekly talk show uh, type format. Um, but various performers were out there, particularly doing fundraising and fundraising for a lot of causes, but particularly for HIV AIDS and getting out there, putting on events, um, doing things for free. And, you know, one of the things is that even though for many people it is a business, it's a job, uh, it's their livelihoods in terms of where they're getting their income, it's also they're putting back into community, it's building community, it's creating the spaces uh, that are, you know, safe spaces. Renee's called through, she's in Castlemaine. Good morning, Renee. Good morning. What did you want to say? Um, I, look, I'm a mum of three, I have all married and I have a, a son and my other son who's in a um, a gay marriage, and he's they're absolutely beautiful. And my daughter is also in the same mar- a gay marriage with two children. And a heterosexual son who had two children. So I guess I, I think I, I cover most varieties, and I have I think I'm lucky. But I think when it comes to the drag and children, it's the drag. When, like children firefighters and think I want to be a firefighter they look at nurses, I want to be a nurse they look at the wiggles and they they all want to be the wiggles and I think yeah, they see that the, the drag thing on the side of it and they don't want the kids to be um, influenced so young, they want them to make their own decisions as they're growing up and they think they're going to get influenced at these shows I know that's probably not the case but that's the, the what they're seeing in their heads I think if they took away that that, that sign on the the poster that says drag queen and just let them be active it would be fine Renee good to hear from you thanks for your call let's have a chat to Sarah Sarah's in Preston thank you hi Sarah oh hi um, good morning I was saying to your producer that I didn't realise Michael you were going to be on the show today it's quite thrilling um, my son was four when lockdown hit and he was exceedingly lonely and he was directed to Storybox Library by Kinder where he would watch people read stories. And uh, Dolly Diamonds were his favourite. So I just want to thank you so much, Michael, for the work you've done. Um, and I never, we never said anything. You were just reading the story. I didn't make any comment, pass any judgment about 
any definition of who, what, where, why, and he accepted fully and wholeheartedly. Yours were his favourite. Um, and he's too old for story time now, but I think it's quite... Um, I'm really incensed at the idea that people can take away parents' choice as to what they do and they don't want their children to be exposed to. Um, I would have happily have taken him to Drag Queen story time. Uh, he loved everything about it. And people to take that choice away from me as a parent, I find really um, offensive, mm. quite frankly. And so I support you guys 100%. Sarah, thank you. That's affected you, Michael, hasn't yeah. it? Yes. Why wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I loved doing those um, story box library. They emailed, <coughs> excuse me, they emailed me this morning um, asking what they could do. And they'd already written something. And I, um, I said, you know, just, well, I guess, you know, they just, a quote or whatever is always nice. Um, I'm in Castle Maine tonight as well. That, 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 I'm back to what that lady, um, I'm a guest with the lovely Karen from Finance. I've got to mention that. Yes. Um, well, the quote we heard right at the beginning of the show was Karen from Finance. Oh, well, we love Karen, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so anybody that's available tonight, come to watch Karen. Um, uh, I, I, I deliberately um, went with Dolly Diamond's story time because I I, I've never really viewed Dolly as a drag queen in the sense of Dame Edna. Dame Edna was Dame Edna. It, we all know that Dame Edna was a drag queen, um, but she built up a character as a woman, which is what I wanted everybody to focus on with Dolly um, rather than drag queen. So I went with that with story time, obviously, because it followed along. I, I don't think um, it's way too late now to want to ever change that. We don't need to change it. It is drag queens reading stories. Yeah. And I'm leaning much more towards that than I ever would have normally um, because it, uh, I, in no way do I feel... I've never felt ashamed by it. I know what I'm doing. It's drag and I love it. Um, we are... Um, fighting like we used to many, many years ago. It is all of that. It's dredged all of that up. Um, and so be it. Um, I'm not backing down on this um, because there's no reason to back down on it. It is amazing to get private messages or public messages uh, about it. Um, we need more of that, more public messaging and less, you know, less of the private, I guess. That's had such an impact. I mean, that's given me a, a complete physical reaction. Mm. The fact that everything that is happening at the moment, it's having personal impacts on performers, on individuals like yourself, Michael Dalton. But then to say, and Nick, I guess I'll put this to you, it feels like we're fighting like we used to, you know, to take it back into history. And as someone, as a part of the queer archives, when you look back in key moments when there have been big fights, when there have been big shifts... This well, is going to be one of them. Absolutely. And, and I think some of the language is very similar. If you look at the language that is being used by some of those conservatives or some of the, you know, Nazis, really, uh, who are currently protesting some of this, um, they're using the exact same language, the exact same issues that were raised during the 1970s when gay liberation or other groups were invited into schools by the schools to come and just talk about, you know, what the issues were, you know, to meet people, to have that discussion, you know, the the same issues around grooming or other things in, that was raised as this spectre uh, that people that might attach to. Right then, the same time, you see the same thing at each point. It's just the same rehashed, you know, uh, lines that are being brought up. And it's not really dealing with any of the substance, you know. They're not coming along and going, oh, actually, I'll go along and I'll see what this is actually about. It's actually just importing a lot of language, reproducing it and bringing it up again. Mm. The US, uh, when when we had our big 78ers march in Sydney, that was in solidarity with the overturning of the, with those laws, those school bans, right? Yeah, very much so. So the Briggs Initiative, which was in San Francisco, uh, the campaign behind that and the, uh, the uh, their pride in San Francisco, which was probably the biggest in the world at that point, uh, wrote to a whole range of activists around the world and asked them to have solidarity and to, to kind of come and, and do that publicly. Mm. And so that's how the first uh, day of International Gay Solidarity, including the first Mardi Gras, came it's, about. It's interesting there then that we're in in one group importing that language and those techniques and to essentially turn off and turn away drag queens and, by extension, more of the queer community. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, for those 
who are maybe a little bit older and don't love that, queer, LGBTQIA+, reasonably interchangeable. Uh, so please don't think I'm being at all offensive. Um, but, yeah, in the same way that that stuff's been imported, we also sort of imported the the opposite, the the fight back. Absolutely. And in, and a lot of using the same strategies, using that kind of visibility, but kind of also br- celebrating. Part of that is pride and part of it mm-hmm. is kind of taking uh, the sorts of safe spaces that we create privately, uh, that we created in terms of, um, you know, at homes and private parties in balls and other spaces and, and bringing that out and saying, actually, look, this is just, this is us and this is something that we celebrate. This is something that is us living our lives and being public in that space. There is, of course, our own home grown pride movement as well as that but yeah really interesting you're with Rochelle Hunt. Good morning. Nate Byrne is your co-host today. You're also listening to Nick Henderson, who's the curator and committee member for the Australian Queer Archives, and Michael Dalton, who you would also know as Dolly Diamond. Karma's gonna track you down, step by step from town to town. Sweet like justice, karma is a queen. Karma takes all my friends to the summit. Karma is the guy on the screen. Coming straight home to me. And that's the song you would have heard with Kevin Bacon and his wife Kyra dancing and at the end saying drag bands are bad karma. We're talking about the history, the significance. How much do you actually know and understand about the role that drag queens have played here in your city and your state? Many texts. I grew up in the UK where you'll know pantomime has always been very popular. There are a pantomime dame who is clearly a man in drag. No one has a problem with it as it's not sexualised. Surely drag story time falls into that same category. And others asking for more drag story time, but then many people saying that they don't want their children watching story time with people dressed in drag, like the caller that we heard earlier, in case it then influences them. What does it matter if a young person, Nate, is influenced, whatever that may mean, by a drag queen? You can't make a gay person. They are or they're not, or perhaps they're bi, or anywhere along the spectrum. What you can influence, though, is how somebody views themselves. If they don't get to see themselves out in the world, they don't know that who they are is okay and that is something that they're allowed to be. When you ban people from things that aren't hurting anyone, all you're doing is narrowing the window and the possibilities for what that person, that child could possibly one day become. Uh, And that's, I'm pretty sure, universally something that, at least here as a country, we fight pretty hard against. We want to open doors and open experiences rather than close them down, so long as everybody's safe and happy and consenting. Rachel Cook is the author of Closets Are For Clothes, which is a history of queer Australia. and was also the editor of the MCV, the gay press magazine, and now works for Thorn Harbour Health. Rachel, a warm welcome back to the Conversation Hour. I guess, Thank I mean, you I for hate, having me. I hate the question, how do you feel, right? But I feel like that's the only thing I can ask people that may be affected by what's happening both locally and globally at the moment. How have the, the drag bans, the death threats, the protests, how has this affected you? Well, I think it's sort of, you know, it comes creeping up, as Michael was saying before. It's almost like going back through uh, the marriage plebiscite again, where you see these arguments get manipulated and turned into something that really has no basis in fact. And I think that one of the things that for me, as someone who um, uh, is not only gay, but I did grow up with drag queens, and and I'll go into that story in a minute, but... The idea that I could have been influenced by them and, and that, you know, having drag queens around in my family when I was growing up has made influenced me to be queer or gay is absolute nonsense. You know, I have siblings who were there all at the same time and they are resolutely heterosexual. So that argument that we can be influenced by um, being in a story time with a drag queen or um, being exposed to gay people is nonsense. And I think that that's one of the things that's the hardest is that you start seeing facts and, and untruths being manipulated and you've got no real way of, of fighting that in some, sometimes. You need to have a, 
some kind of book or t-shirt just raised by drag queens. I mean, that is quite possibly the best sentence. <laughs> raised I've, by drag queens. Yes, well, I'm going to use that one. Writing that down. <laughs> it's the best. When we look at the history and the significance, though, Rachel, and this is globally as well, yes, drag queens are loud and fabulous and colourful but they are more than that. And they are, I guess, the true activists. When you look back through your queer history, through your book, what role stood out to you for drag queens in this state? Well, um, if I could actually just move away from our state for a second and just go back to, like, the real, like, you know, where drag really, you know, the, the precursor for, for, for drag shows. And it goes all the way back to, you know, the 18th century. There was a really famous uh, Molly houses, which were which were places where gay men could congregate and socialise and they had like, you know, they would do perform drag plays and then we sort of see this trajectory of drag, you know, and back then of course if you were convicted of, of, for being gay, you you were sentenced to death so you sort of, like, you watch this and you to think that drag has gone through this trajectory of say, the, the Molly houses from back then to sort of like, you know, um, the drag balls in Harlem in the 1920s to the drag house culture in New York in the 1980s to the phenomenon that is RuPaul. That says something in itself that drag, no matter how many times it has been pushed underground and has been something that has been vilified, has now gone on to be this absolute phenomenon. But in terms of like activism, um, I think... What's been really interesting, you know, of course, we always hark back to the Stonewall riots. Um, Marsha P. Johnson, who was an African-American drag queen who came out of those riots, went on to be an absolute leader um, in activism, and that activism filtered down uh, into Australia as well, as Nick was pointing to earlier. But also, I think there's something in those of us who are the most persecuted often also tend to be the ones that fly the flag and fight back the mm. hardest. And that is something that for, for many of us in the LGBTIQ plus communities, we're well aware of, we're well aware of um, what people, what drag queens and for that matter, drag kings too have done yeah. um, for, for helping just, our um, cause. Just finally, Rachel, because we have a plethora of guests we want to get through in the next 20 odd minutes. You know, you've mentioned Dame Edna and I know, Michael, you mentioned Dame Edna as well because Dolly sort of falls, Dolly Diamond falls into a, a similar uh, character, so to speak, in that they're not drag, they are a person. But why is it that do you think, Rachel, that Dame Edna, you know, loved globally accepted why was she different you know why was there never pushback or was there i think it's pretty simple barry humphries was a heterosexual man and i think i think that this argument uh, at, at the moment about drag story time really can it, it, it's homophobia you know it, it's it's yes. it's, di- it's direct it's directed at uh it's, I don't think it's about drag. I think it, that's a gay man and gay equals bad. And the thing that worries me most about the people who are pushing this argument is that I worry about, you know, their equation of gay equals bad and I worry about if they have children themselves who might be questioning their sexuality and knowing how hard that is, how tough they're making life for their own children. And I just hope that if they, if any of them do have children who eventually come out that they can, um, they can uh, approach that with compassion and as a loving parent and not um, act in the ways that they are now. Rachel, thanks so much for your time. Mm. Rachel Cook, who's the author of Closets Are For Clothes, A Queer History of Australia. You agreed and nodding fiercely there, and yes. rightly so. and it, it is. It is all that. It really spells it out, though, doesn't it? It yes. makes it quite clear. And we're no longer really, I mean, most of us didn't anyway, but you're no longer allowed to, allowed to be verbal uh, about racism. You know, we stamp out racism if you're in a group and you're uh, advocating for this particular group not to be allowed. We... we Chump on you, um, and now this is a, a, a group that's all jumping on the track community, and it is simply that homophobia. And um, we're not generally we're, we're not stamping it out as quickly as we should. Let's go to some of the iconic venues I mentioned earlier: the Greyhound and mm, DTs. DTs. Oh man, the yep. nights were spent in DTs. Nick Henderson. Some iconic venues, those venues, because we do have a special guest lined up we're going to have a chat to in just a moment. Sure. But those 
moments because a lot of the time drag was performed to people's homes. You know, they it wasn't allowed to be public. There were no gay bars. There were no drag bars. Well, there were a lot of bars in in Melbourne over a long period of time. Many of which had sidebars or back bars, which were the camp bars. Camp was the word that was prominently used in Australia as a noun. You were camp man, camp woman. So the bars that were in the spaces they weren't drag bars as such up until the kind of late 1960s when you start seeing that in more public spaces. So in Melbourne, you've got places like May West's, uh, which was around for a number of years, and uh, you've got Lay Girls, uh, which was set up in Melbourne in 1970, mid-1970, ran through into the 1980s in a number of venues, initially uh, at the Ritz uh, Hotel in St Kilda and then moving to Olivia's and Bojangles uh, for those who were around at that time. But a lot of other spaces that have been used over the years, Exchange, The Market, Three Faces, um, and also I guess there's a... Just na- named about it, all the places <laughs> yeah. they used to hang out. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but there's a longer history there as well. In terms of the drag spaces, particularly the balls. So you, while we often see in popular culture now talking about RuPaul's Drag Race and the Harlem ball scene that Rachel mentioned before, we have our own ball tradition uh, from the arts balls and, and many of the, I guess, the different uh, you know professional uh, organisations that would do balls in spaces like the Palais, uh, San Remo Ballroom and others, mm. those spaces uh, were generally a space where you were allowed to cross-dress for a night. You were allowed to mm. dress up in drag. Before we have a chat to Doug Lucas, who's fairly iconic in this space, Bob's called. He's an Eltham. Hi, Bob. Hey, yeah, I was... Uh, I went to lay girls back in the 60s. Um, the Premier at that time was Henry Bolte. His Attorney General was Ryla. I think it only it came down from Sydney, and I think it was only only went for about three nights. And Ryla said, "My teenage daughter wouldn't want to go to that," and kicked them out of the state. Ryla didn't even have a daughter, let alone a teenage one. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, has anyone ever it. told you that you sound exactly like Bob from Priscilla Queen of the Desert? <laughs> Oh, no, they haven't. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. I went to lay girls in the 60s. They they were iconic, weren't yeah. they? Oh, and, well, I, I still have a photo of one of them sitting on my knee. I think we got engaged that night. Yes. <laughs> oh, I wonder which one it is. <laughs> That's well, St. Kilda. Enough, it, 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 was, it was a French bloke, and he claimed to me that he, he that was the only dancing job he could get. Um, but he was running a dancing school. Oh. And later on he came back and he gave me a pamphlet and there he is dancing in a tuxedo but with one of the other drag queens and she, and he said, oh, that's, that's Marty or something. He's in my best frock. <laughs> oh, oh, that's the best story. You're sort of you're trying to figure out in your head here who Bob might be talking about. I, Nick, I, I am. Yes, yes. there's um, there's a lot of performance in that period, that, and they toured around. They went to Hong Kong and other spaces uh, before they set up in Melbourne uh, with Stan Munro as the host. Let's go to another iconic performer now and someone that was influential in ensuring that there were spaces for drag performances. Doug Lucas established one of Melbourne's first gay discos back in 1975 and the legendary Pokies back in 1977, but has pretty much been performing and running events ever since. Doug, welcome to the Conversation Hour. How far have we progressed, do you think, in this conversation? Oh, this is this is a bit difficult. I just sort of worked out what I was going to say. Everything Nick says is right. Everything Dolly said is right. But I really cannot understand why in 2023 we have this really negative attitude and suddenly well, there's all this hate towards gay performers. Gay people and drag queens have been around for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, my main concern is, like I said, homophobia. I think certain people are that ignorant they associate, they try and put gay people back in the closet and associate us with pedophiles, which is absolutely offensive. When you go back I to the 70s and the fight you had to fight to open clubs, for example, Doug, well, are you worried it will get that bad again? No, no. Well, look, I, look I, I'm, I'm the eternal optimist. I hope people come to their senses. I think the political situation and this woke committee really has a lot to answer for. But when we started Pokies back in 77... Drags weren't really accepted as part of the gay scene. It's like, well, you want to live as a woman, you belong in that society, you don't belong in our society. We started Pogies Up, I ended up with a cast of 11. 
the drag queens became the celebrity of the scene. The drag queens, and particularly compares like myself, were the people that got the voice out there, got the messages out through the AIDS epidemic. I had done everything from strip clubs. I worked crystal teas for over 20 years during the ladies' nights. And I've also done pantomimes in shopping centres. And children, people underestimate children. Children aren't stupid. They see that person as a character. They love the glamour and the lights. They, um, I used to say with, with an audience, you know, with an adult audience, you can get them to stand on cue, you can get them to crab on cue. Children are different, but they sit there and you just see their faces just light up and just amazement. And it's all as in front. I mean, children think nothing about two boys holding hands or whatever. It's, the behaviour and the hatred is what's taught to them. It's not natural. Mm-hmm. And this is this is what really offends me. And I don't understand why drag queens are under attack. What have they done to deserve this, you know? Why is this suddenly such a big deal recently? I mean, the fact that they cancelled that thing in, in the city of Monash, where parents that have got children wanted to have a gay person come to read, have received death threats. I mean, it's bizarre. It is absolutely beyond belief. I just, I just don't get it. I don't know what's behind it how influential when we're talking to doug lucas here how influential are some of the venues nick that that doug opened in terms of paving the way and creating change hugely influential a lot of these spaces at the time you know there wasn't a a, a plethora of spaces uh, that were around and you know pokies was iconic it was the space to go to um in the scene in melbourne you know it was pokies in melbourne it was capriccios in sydney you know these spaces were the spaces the community came together and substantial as well i mean the numbers who were coming along uh, each week to pokies uh meant that it was really the space when most people it was the largest gathering really of of the the gay community of the time. Well, as you know, we get a thousand people there every Sunday night. Wow. Yeah, nice. On Sunday that, that, night. That, that was an average night. We're only open one night a week. But the gays then, the drags became really part of the society and then they became the celebrities on the scene. It was, uh, was it uh, kind of colloquially called church for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got these spaces. Amen. And it was just <laughs> absolutely, and it was a space to come together. It was a space to celebrate. It was, you know, being out there and, you know, going out into community, going out onto the streets where you weren't always necessarily accepted and there was uh, still abuse. And, and in, in Melbourne, you know, uh, the uh, homosexual acts between men were criminalised until uh, the end of 1980. Um, but there was a whole, that led to a whole range of other laws. So most people weren't criminalised to that they come under offensive conduct or other things and you just mentioned doug thanks you thank you so much for joining us and you know for est- establishing the, the venues that you had and for giving people the not only the chance to go out on a sunday night and go to church yeah. but also yeah. to, for those performers to be to have somewhere to perform that's all right can i just add one quick yes. thing pokies was not only a place for gay people to go it was a place where it was open to the public people would bring their parents their grandparents along. All parents want is for their children to be happy. And it was knocked down a lot of ignorance and people just saw it as fun and entertainment. And that's all that it was. Yes. Doug, thank you so much. Good to speak with you. Okay, you're welcome. So you take care. Doug Lucas there, established as we've been talking about pokies. Let's have a couple of quick calls before we have a chat to Geraldine. We've mentioned a few times the HIV AIDS epidemic and the role that drag queens played there. Let's have a quick look at Jeff, who's in Ballarat. Hi, Jeff. Hi there. How are you? Well, what did you want to say? Look, I just wanted to say that I think we need to look at um, who's actually generating a lot of this hate. And it seems to me that, you know, organisations like the Australian Christian Lobby, which webso- whose website is just full of um, anti-LGBTIQ uh, propaganda, it's, it's just terrible. And these organisations, you know, don't disclose who their, their funders are. They, they don't tell us, you know, who's uh, feeding into this sort of hate. And my view is if, if they're going to go out and cross the line between church and state, then we should know who's who's actually funding them. And for a lot of these churches that are that are pushing it, we should take away their, their tax free status. Jeff, good to hear from you. Thanks for your opinion. Lots of people texting that most of this 
hate or this pushback or the protest is coming from the United States. Nate Byrne is in the studio with you. My name's Rochelle Hunt, Nick Henderson, curator and committee member for the Australian Queer Archives, joining you as well, as is Michael Dalton, whose alter ego is Dolly Diamond. We've mentioned a few times the significant role when drag queens have stood up when no one else would, and the HIV AIDS epidemic in the 80s was one of those times when quite often you couldn't get or family members wouldn't enter an HIV AIDS ward, let alone sometimes those that worked in the healthcare sector. And there was a, the AIDS nurses we still celebrate and thank to this day. Geraldine Feller has a postdoctoral research. She's a postdoctoral research fellow at Macquarie University and wrote an incredible PhD on the history of AIDS nurses in Australia. But the bit that stood out to me the most when I spoke to you originally, Geraldine, about this was the role that drag queens played on the floor in the hospital at that time, how significant were they? What did they do? Um, yeah, hi, Rochelle, and, and thanks for having me today on this excellent program. Um, drag queens were incredibly important uh, on HIV and AIDS wards all around the country, but um, very much so in Melbourne at Fairfield Hospital. Uh, they were visitors, they were nurses, and they were unfortunately patients as well uh, on those wards. Uh, and I don't think it's a stretch to say that they played a really crucial role in HIV and AIDS care. Uh, they made sure that despite the you know, really terrible illness and, and death that was occurring in those places, they were not miserable places to be. Uh, one of the nurses I spoke to describes the ward as a parade of interesting and colourful characters. And a big part of that was the drag queens who would come in or who were already there. They'd put on performances They'd make clothes and costumes for other patients and, and for nurses. Uh, and they brought, you know, incredible joy, life, queer community and culture uh, to the ward in, in Melbourne. And a lot of the time they would raise money, wouldn't they, for people that needed it, put on events, nights, go to people's homes, yes. whatever was needed. Yeah, that's right. So they do these amazing drag nights, often at gay bars, but that's right, also... Um, you know, at people's homes, and often they get the nurses and patients in on it as well. So I talked to a lot of nurses, not all of them gay men, a lot of straight women, in fact, who got really into drag culture and practices of drag uh, because they were part of these fundraising events. Um, and I think, you know, for me, that really speaks to the importance of drag. Obviously, it's really important to our community, to the queer community, but it's also really good for straight people. <laughs> drag means that people actually get to play around with ideas of gender and have really joyful experiences. And that's something that a lot of nurses yeah. spoke to me about. Absolutely. Geraldine, congratulations again on the work that you've done. Sorry to keep it short today, but it's been a really full show. We appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Rochelle. It's been great to, to come on. Geraldine, I guess, has highlighted to you that, Nate, you know, for whatever reason, the focus has been on story time. But yeah. drag queen culture is commercialised. There's drag oh. bingo. There's, you can go into drag corporate sites. So big venues. Like, do you know what I mean? It is... It is like a corporate entity. It's big yeah, business. Largely drag. thanks to RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, certainly for younger generations now. They're, they're watching it. They're, it's all over social media. These drag queens have massive followings. It's come at a similar time to um, things like gay marriage rights or you know, marriage equality, which is great. But now that the, the worm is turning on that fringe, that far right fringe that's incredibly loud uh, it's it's concerning because we're seeing like in the US that our position where we are now isn't necessarily safe yeah, laws can change and things can become more dangerous and it's, I, I think it was incredible just uh, you know, drag performers aren't other than you know the highest echelons of RuPaul's Drag Race, they're not the most well-paid people oh, in the world no. by any means, but they're still putting in hours and hours yeah. of work to entertain audiences. And just the fact that you know doing things like raising money, looking after the community, it's just a testament. I mean, who wouldn't want somebody who thinks like that to be influencing their kids? Just finally, and in closing today, Michael, it feels like we're at a period where it can go one of two ways, doesn't it? That we can rewrite history or we can repeat history. Where's it heading, do you think? Well, I mean, it's got, we've got to, um, you know, keep talking about it, haven't mm. we? And um, 
it's there, there's only one way this is going, and there's only one way we're allowing this to go because we're not allowing those negative voices to um, rule what we're doing because we know what we're doing is right. And that's not only my viewpoint um, and everyone in the room, um, but people, um, you know, it, it's a sensible way. It's the only way. Hmm. Michael Dalton, who's alter eco Dolly Diamond, thank you so much Thanks. for your time and your insights today. Love Just you, finally, Dolly. <laughs> we do love you, Dolly. <laughs> Lots of people are sending in texts saying how much they love you. You're very loved. Nick, as someone that works in archives, that works in history, how will we look back on what we're living through right now? I mean, I think we'll connect it with a lot of the other issues that have faced community. I think we'll look at it in the terms of uh, the sort of progressive law reform that's happened. You know, we've come a very long way mm. over this period of time. If you look from gay liberation to now, it has been progressive. It's taken a lot of time, in, uh, often for some law reform, uh, discrimination, anti-discrimination and others, but we've got there and we will continue pushing forward and we will continue getting the sort of responses that we need. Um, Nick Henderson, thank you so much for your time today as well. Nate Byrne. Well, just the tip of the iceberg, yeah. of course, for, for the community. Uh, we are far from done. I mean, we <laughs> let's talk trans rights sometime because there is a yes. heck of a lot more My to word. talk about there too. Uh, but drag queens absolutely deserve our protection. I think the thing that gives me hope is that we're not quite in the same sort of world that we were in back in the 60s and the 70s. Police, although still having problems in places are doing more truth-telling and are also looking after the community more and more, which is amazing. There was a world conference here in Melbourne, actually, just earlier this year, where uh, police from around the world came to discuss the issues for LGBTQIA plus people. I guess that's one significant change, people. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, along <laughs> with the other laws that we've got in place as well and the general community upswell of support, except for, of course, this incredibly loud minority... I hope, I hope that we're in a better place than we might otherwise be. Nate Byrne, as always, been fabulous to have you in the studio. Oh, thank you. Thank you. To all of the texts I couldn't get through today, apologies. I, I couldn't keep up with them. There was a lot going on in the studio today. So I, as I always say to you, I stay back, I read through those texts. So if you've spent the time to send me a message, it will get read. And to all of the calls, thank you so much for sending those through as well. My name's Rochelle Hunt. Thank you so much for your company today and for this week. I'll be back with you on Monday. Please be respectful, be safe and have yourself a fabulous weekend.